If you retired ahead of theirs, your portfolio position for a successful retirement? With the state of the economy, risk management has never been more important. Join Bulwark Capital Zach Abraham for his final live webinar of the year, Thursday, November 16th, to learn how their risk management strategy and active management could potentially lower portfolio volatility for you. Todd, protecting retirement portfolios against loss is our number one focus. Our live webinar breaks down the retirement planning process, which is especially important during the threat of a recession, uncertain interest rates, and increasing market volatility. Don't just ride it out. We actively manage every portfolio looking for opportunities to lower risk, lower cost, and give you as much upside as possible. Learn about Bulwark's risk management strategy and performance Thursday, November 16th at 3 p.m. Pacific. It's free, but space is limited. Register now at knowyourriskradio.com. That's knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advisory services offered through Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for, for another segment. Another of my favorite parts of the show, it is my favorite part of the show, uh, the interview. And this is a special one. I've been wanting to get this guy on for a long time. Um, probably asked him more than, I don't know, probably at least three, three, five, six times, something like that, to come on. And finally was able to get him to to agree to come on here. And he is a, a little bit different guest in the sense that um, – First, he is anonymous, so we're we're gonna we're gonna go by his uh, his anonymous name. But he is known affectionately as the uh, the Godfather of FinTwit or Financial Twitter, and um, he is the mythical character Rudy Havenstein, who, who which is a name uh, that he took from the head of the Reichsbank uh, back in pre World War II that that really managed their fiscal situation beautifully, right? Just ran them into the Weimar Republic. But without further ado, uh, long time coming. Thrilled to have him here, Mr. Rudy Havenstein. Rudy, I'm, I'm, I cannot tell you how long I've been looking forward to having, uh, having this discussion and just thrilled to have you on the show with us. Oh, great. Thanks for having me. And uh, I wasn't avoiding you. I just wasn't doing podcasts for many, for 10 years. So, Oh, yeah. No, well, uh, I, 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 I I didn't take I didn't take it bad. If yeah. you're gonna no, if no, you're no. gonna if you're gonna turn down Grant Williams, um <laughs> you know, I, I'm not insulted if I if 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 I get put on the side either. But uh thrilled yeah. to have you. I always you promised here. him he was first. Thank you. You yeah. know, you, I noticed you remember when you did that. Uh I, I I think it was probably the first podcast I listened to of yours and you did you were talking about Boeing. You know, remember a few years yep. ago yep. right before Boeing Boeing blew up and I know some guy, Boeing guys and uh, the, the stories they had corroborated, you know, what you were hearing. And then ever since, it's just been kind of a, you know, rolling disaster. Yeah. Well, I, you and I were united. Um, well, I mean, I, 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 I love the stuff you put out, but I feel like you and I were sort of united by that whole enemy of your enemy is your friend kind of thing. Um, yeah. Meaning I, I think you and I uh, look at the Fed through a very similar lens. And um, for those of you that are expecting just both of us get us together and we're going to rip on the Fed, uh, I'm sure we'll touch on that. But we're we're going to try to stay focused on other things because, um, sure. again, I think those are that that's a I, you and I could probably sit in a corner and talk about that for an entire day. Um, but why don't you tell us a little bit about your story because it, it's unique in terms of, you know, when I look at um, 
your position or station, if you will, in financial Twitter, in that in that group of folks we affectionately refer to as FinTwit, um, you're different in the sense that you're, you're a very astute, educated, experienced investor, but you do not do this professionally. Give, give us a little bit about your background and how you got here uh, in terms of, you know, I mean, we can get into the Fed and all that other kind of stuff, but in terms of, you know, your education as an investor, um, yeah, just kind of the kind of the backstory. Yeah, I always had an interest in uh, the stock market. Uh, I, from an, you know, I started working, you know, delivering papers and stuff like that at fifth grade, I think, and, and sixth grade. And I uh, always had, you know, a little spending money. I remember when I had $20, you know, from the paper route. And I thought $20 was like, you know, nowadays that would be like, you know, having a few hundred dollars or something for a little kid. It was a lot of money back then. And, and so I always had an interest. And then when I got, you know, 18 or whatever it was to open an account, um, you know, like I was telling you earlier, I, I had a, a friend that was a broker, brand new, you know, young guy and, uh, they, he just pushed their inventory. So I lost, you know, on, I learned that, you know, it's best if I, at least for me to do all my own research and investing. And that way over the years, um, I can blame myself if I lose money and I can say, okay, good job if I made money. So I like that. And so I've never used any sort of money manager. Um, and a lot of the guys that I know and follow me and I follow them are, are money managers. I think I'd be a bad money manager for other people because I, um, you know, I do things that you're not supposed to do. Like I'll buy, if I really like something, I'll, I'll buy more when it goes down, you know, which I break all <laughs> sorts of cards cardinal rules. And I'm sure I'd have people, no one would have money with me. They'd all pull it out and I wouldn't blame them. But, but I, I have a long view. I think, you know, I was telling you, I, you had Vinny and Porter on the other day and they were, you know, they're not in the, in the market everyday day trading, you know, they're more long-term investors. And he distinguished like a lot of the smart guys do between um, investing and, and speculating. And I do both, but I have, I mostly invest. I don't, you know, I'm not out there day trading or anything. And, um, I came from a middle-class background. Dad was a teacher and um, mom took care of kids. And so I have a very strong affinity with um, growing up like that during period of inflate, high inflation and what it does to people and families. And um, so that's why I, you know, my main, other than just having fun, my main reason was trying to educate people about, you know, the dangers of, I guess, of fiat money. I mean, uh, and uh, that's why I picked the character I picked because he's a, you know, I love that whole period that, that world war post-world war one period. But um, I think, you know, it led to uh, their profligacy and it was a different situation. You had a war and you had reparations, you know, and all that, but really they ended up just trying to solve everything by printing money. And I think that led, I think the, I mean, I've point, I've argued a number of times that I think that the hyperinflation of Germany uh, directly led to Hitler. Oh um, yeah. The push, the beer hall pushes in 23 and he came to power in 33 at the very beginning of the depression. So I think it destroyed the morality of the nation. I have a whole thread of uh, quotes on that. And I'm not comparing that to the United States. I've said years ago, you know, people, how are you calling for inflation? No, I'm not calling for inflation. I'm just saying we, any nation that just starts monetizing their debt has to be careful. I mean, German was, Germany was a major industrial nation and sure it was hollowed out by a war, but you know what? We've been fighting wars my entire life and putting them on the credit card. So we got to be careful. We can't have, you know, Americans have a lot of hubris and um, I don't know if, I mean, some of it's deserved and some of it isn't, you know, and um, we just got to be careful and we're getting to a point um, 
you know, I'm not a big budget hawk. I don't talk about that a lot, but if you start looking at the numbers now, like some people say, it's just math. It's just, you know, you can't, you can't, it's unsustainable. So, but then again, I remember in the seventies reading books that said the death of the dollar, you know? Right. (laughs) So, so it takes a long time gradually then suddenly. Yep. Yeah. Hence, hence the term uh, you've used, but (laughs) The other thing too is I, I think that people get so short-sighted and so myopic in terms of what they right. Oh, you're talking about hyperinflation. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I don't. I don't. Th- I've never heard you call for that here. I mean, it, look. At some point, right. every fiat currency fails, right? But um, I think so. The, 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 there are other costs, right? That, and I don't think anybody pays attention to that. For instance, you, you said earlier you know, treating every single problem with the exact same medicine, tre- treating every sickness with the exact same prescription, meaning just printing money that fixes everything. And, and, you know, that, that sounds kind of familiar, uh, certainly over the last 15 years since 08, 09. And yeah. there's another, there's another side of it that I don't think gets paid enough attention to, which is how about moral inflation? I, w- one of the things I think is fascinating is that intersection of culture and finance, right? Where mm. I, I don't think it's coincidence that in a period of time in which we have relied on printed money to fix every single problem, debts and deficits have soared, there is no end to the printing, also happens to be a unique period of time in which people believe men can have babies. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you it's just interesting to me how detached from reality culture has gotten and it's coincided with when our fiscal and financial stuff has gotten completely off the rails. And it's hard for me not to see there being some kind of connection. Well, I think when you have a period of general, um, I I wouldn't say general prosperity, I'll get into that if you want, but it's a first world problem. You know what I mean? You don't, you don't, if, if, if things are, if you're having economic, real economic trouble, you know, and people aren't talking about some of the crazy stuff. I think a lot of people sitting at home during COVID went insane. You know, um, I think a lot of people went to lose. I mean, I, I don't get into this culture war stuff very often, but the, like, for example, the, the whole, uh, you know, I, I'm going to say that I'm an eight-year-old girl and compete in an eight-year-old girl, you know, soccer tournament or something. I mean, that's just, I mean, that's the kind of thing that's going on, right. you know, I mean, it's not, I mean, I always try to take whatever the absurdity I see and kind of make it just a little bit more absurd. And, and, but, you know, I'll, I'll post stuff now and people go, is that real? And I'm like, oh my God, that's how, that's how crazy society is. Of course it's not real, but, but it's not that different than reality. And it's almost like I've said several times, you know, satire is dead because you just read the headlines and it's, it's crazy. And I can't imagine being a parent of a, of a girl and some like huge guy is wrestling against her. So, I mean, it's just, that would tick me off. And I, and the parents need to revolt against this. They need to form a new league or they need to, I mean, it's unbelievable in the swim and the swimming. Anyway, that, I don't, I mean, I could talk about that, but it's just insane. And and hopefully it goes away, <laughs> but I, I don't yeah. know. I, I think there's, it seems like there's people that in power that encourage it. They they want I think maybe they want us to all go insane so that we don't notice what they're doing as far as ripping us off, you know. Oh, I mean I th- yeah, I mean I I think that's a I, <laughs> I think that's a big part of it, right? Which is yeah. you know, you it, people go, "Why don't we fix this?" And I'm like, "Guys, when you have the same people in power that are all yeah. benefiting from the way you know, like I, I've thought a lot about this and, and I want to get into your, and I, again, I don't want to make this just an hour on the fed, but, but I do want to get into, you know, how you became aware of that and, and the process to which you started recognizing that issue. But, but I think an easy way to think about it is 
when you look at monetary policy and you listen to the Fed talk and you listen to the Treasury Secretary talk, and if you kind of read behind the lines, what you hear them talking about is the preservation of the status quo, right? And they're all, we, right. we need to make sure things keep functioning. And nobody ever stops to ask, wait a second, is the status quo good, right? And, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 it, yeah. and it is for who's in power, but, but not really anybody else. Hundred percent. I, I was I I you know like I said I always been looking at the stock market. I remember you know I wasn't heavily invested or anything, but back in like eighty seven crash and stuff. So I was watching all that closer than most people. But I didn't really get into it until the nineties. And as I said before, Bill Fleckenstein. I started reading his stuff, and uh, he's he pointed me towards the Fed, and I started getting into that. And um, and then I've been following the Fed ever since the late nineties. And so I'm aware of a long history of them being just doing being a disaster. You know, one thing, um, and I love Vincent Daniel and Porter Collins that you interviewed the other day. And, uh, but, Vin, but Vincent Daniel said something that, um, I've heard other people that I like and respect and are very brilliant, but they say, they say, I have to give Ben Bernanke credit for saving the world, you know, in the, you know, I guess with QE one or whatever. I've heard that from other guys too. And I'm like raising my hand going, hang on, hang on, hang on. First of all, whose world did he save? Now, I'm all, I, I, I believe, okay, they, everything's melting down in 08. And I was watching it. I had seen the whole, I had watched, I was watching that whole run up, the whole housing bubble. I was following it for years very closely. And I was watching what was happening in 08, 09 very closely too. And for, um, yes, you could, as, as we've learned in the recent years, there is no limit to the amount of money they'll, they'll, uh, they'll, spend to save the status quo of the financial system. But but they didn't have to say they didn't have to make Lloyd Blankfein a billionaire. They didn't have to um, you know, make John Mack a billionaire. Those guys were heads of hedge funds that were failing until they magically became a Federal Reserve backed uh, you know, bank. Uh, they weren't banks. They were hedge funds and we bailed them out. And there was no need for that. I think we could have backstopped the deposits and the Fed could have just squirted money everywhere like it did anyway. It, 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 you know, even uh, to his credit, uh, Sanders did a, did a study and they were, they, they were giving in cumulative loans, like $16 trillion over those, over a year to, to various banks and, mo and a chunk of, a huge chunk of them were outside the United States. And, you know, they were doing stuff like giving money to the, you know, Korea development bank and all sorts of other things that, that had nothing to do with the U S in fact, uh, you know, were, were solely for their own domestic use. So, there's a, uh, you know, Bernanke was questioned by, um, what was his name? Uh, forget the congressman's name. I posted the video. He, uh, uh, he was saying, where'd the money go, Ben? And Ben's like, Ben's like, I, I don't know, you know, in front of Congress. And he goes, you, you, and I forget what the number was. It was probably something quaint, like 500 million or, or a billion. And, and he says, it's a billion dollars and you don't know where it went. And Bernanke's like, no, we just sent it to these other central banks and they did what what you know what they wanted with it anyway they they didn't I, I posted something that said something to the effect of we should never give another dollar to any company unless the ceo's gone the c-suite's gone and they can merge with another company or whatever and the, and the taxpayers own it i mean i'm not a socialist or anything but if we're gonna but we should get what we've done what am i you know 10 years ago i'm saying this what we do in a nutshell is we socialize losses and we privatize profits. And we did it in a way yep. unnecessarily. So I do, I do reject the idea that we need to thank Ben Bernanke because first of all, that's like saying you, you are thanking the guy who set fire to your house for helping put out the fire. Right. You know, I mean, 
and and then this guy sleptwalked into the uh, housing bubble. He had no clue, and that's that's a problem. Is it, 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 it's happened again and again, and there's no accountability. Look at um, Powell. Powell was fully on board with all this crazy Keynesian nonsense until I think he got hit in the face with the inflation data. Uh, you know, back in twenty one. Uh, but even then, he was. I mean, Powell even joined the the uh, average inflation targeting crowd, which is insane. And and the, the, the look at what happened with the MBS that they bought. They own zero MBS in two thousand eight, and today, this is how many years? Fifteen years after the Great Financial Crisis, which I call Great Depression too for half of America. But we they still own two point five trillion dollars of MBS. You don't think that's a, that helped? you know, blow up the mar- uh, the mortgage, uh, the housing market, you know. Uh, and people always used to say, you know, I listen to people talk about low rates, you know, oh, that's because of secular stagnation. It's because of, you know, savings glut and all this other nonsense. nonsense. Well, I said, I said, fine. So sell those, nine, sell your $9 trillion balance sheet and see where rates are. You know, if, if you look at the QT, it's a joke. It's, I think they've been doing, I concentrate more on the MBS because to me, that's the most egregious and probably illegal, but nobody cares. I mean, they bought corporate bonds in 2020. And that's illegal right. under the Federal Reserve Act, according to Lacey Hunt, who I was just listening to again. That guy's brilliant. But anyway, there's no accountability. Ben Bernanke should be run out of town on a rail. Instead, they give him a uh, uh, Nobel Prize. And as you were saying, it's like, uh, it, yeah, they saved the system. And I'm like, whose system did they save? They they saved the system of, of the top 1%. That's, I mean, that's one of my favorite charts I post is the share of wealth held by the top 1%. And it's literally a 45 degree angle up for the last 30 years. And I don't think that's good. I don't think it's good to have that level of wealth inequality in the United States. And I think a, a good chunk of the angst and, and, and division in the United States today is because uh, people's economic situation do not, does not match what the evening news tells you. I was just looking at the University yep. of Michigan sentiment. And and Lacey Hunt pointed this out to me. And he's like, they've had this series since 53. And we are at like, you know, uh, March 2020 levels almost. <clears throat> and, and way below the average for the last 50 years. Something is wrong. And I keep, and then you get here, Paul Krugman and people like that, like Joe Biden that are like, hey, the, this is the best economy in the history of the world. Why is everyone so bummed out? You know, it's because they, they, I think inflation is a huge part of it. Cost of living is a huge part of it because people see that every day and there's no accountability. They all called for it. You know, I got this great video of Bullard saying, you know, what we, you know, inflation was below 2% and now we have to make sure it's above 2%. They wanted inflation. That's the thing. They called for inflation and then because they think it's a dial they could turn and then it went to the moon and then then they freak out and now they've been raising rates. Although, and I never thought they'd get to five, and a quarter, whatever they're at now, I, that that or the speed of that, because I thought something would have blown up by now. Um, but uh, you know, they're just they're, we're back to average rates really over the last sixty years. Even the mortgage rates around seven and a half percent, eight percent. That's basically the average if you go to the Fred site, which I do use, uh, back from sixty years. You know, so well, anyway, they, they they the whole Zerp thing screwed everything up, and you know, I've, I post on all the stuff, I write on all the stuff too. So, but. Yeah, it's bad. There's no accountability. Why is Janet Yellen Treasury Secretary? Her track record is abysmal. And she's gotten very, very wealthy like they all do off of it. So anyway. Yeah, you can't can't defend her record, Um, which which Druckenmiller pointed out recently. And 
we haven't gone yeah. through and, and actually done the math, but if you look at just her mistakes, so just the last three years, just her mistake since she's taken over of not financing this stuff out in much longer terms, um, you know, conservatively, it's going to, I think it will probably be on a nominal basis anyway, the most expensive and biggest waste of taxpayer money in the history of this country in, in terms of it's, it, and we're not talking 30 years out, right? Over the next 10 years, that mistake of her not extending out the maturities of that, of that debt she was issuing, it's probably going to cost the taxpayer somewhere in excess of $2 trillion. You know, yeah. this is real money. It's so- Someone pointed out too that that Mnuchin had a you know I would I would throw Mnuchin in the blame I think most of it goes to yeah. Yellen but um, it's it's a bipartisan thing and that's what I try to be is bipartisan I don't care what letters after your name if you're if you're screwing up things for the grandkids which these guys all are so. oh yeah with 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 virtually zero regard right um, and then just telling no no accountability none 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 no none I mean you know look at you know Yellen sent a tweet about corruption, you know, corruption, you know, is, you know, some little pablum, some intern wrote for her to post. And, and I was like, well, hang on, would you say that being the head bank regulator and then the next year accepting $7.2 million from people like Citibank, you know, Citigroup, uh, would you say that's corrupt? Cause I sure, I sure think that's corrupt. And other people, oh no, no, that's legal. Well, it may be legal, but it's corrupt. I mean, it's, it's a delayed bribe. It's regulatory capture. Uh, it's all over the place. Uh, you know, it happens in pharma and everything else. You know, the regulators go to work for Pfizer or, you know, look, I, there's an, you know, another theme of mine is, you know, I, I joke that Occupy Wall Street referred to ex and future central bankers. I mean, look at PIMCO, you know, for example. I mean, that seems to be a warehouse for 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 uh, central bankers. You've got uh, Kashkari cashed in there. Uh, Bernanke cashed in there. Clarita came from there and then went back. And uh, of course, Alan Greenspan cashed in there too. I mean, these guys are all, you know, uh, I, I hear that that um, just from Citadel, Bernanke makes twenty million a year. And if you consider, and, that, and if you consider what Ken Griffin makes a year, which is probably what a billion dollars or something, mm-hmm. uh, that that seems reasonable to me, you know. And by the way, it's another thing in twenty twenty, you know, uh, there was a headline, uh, you know, Yellen and and Bernanke to uh, test to tell Congress to testify before Congress to uh, ask for uh, the Fed to buy corporate bonds or they were going to something about the Fed should buy corporate bonds. Well, at the time, what the headline didn't say is Citadel senior advisor, Ben Bernanke and Magellan financial senior advisor, Janet Yellen. I mean, everyone acts like these are some sort of like a pure, um, you know, people and, and with no financial interest in what they're proposing. But I think that part of the massive idiotic response in March 2020, where they basically just spewed trillions uh, to save some hedge funds. I think that was because Bernanke was making phone calls and and Yellen was probably making phone calls. I mean, they wanted to save, you know, Ken Griffin and everybody else that would have gone under. And I can't prove that or anything. But I mean, you know, after a while, if it looks like a duck and walks like a duck, it's it's a duck, you know. So well, I see this stuff over and over. Well, and yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to be a conspiratorialist either or a conspiracy theorist. I don't mind. Yeah, well, but but (laughs) you have to sit back at some point and go, okay, these guys are listed as paid advisors to two of the biggest hedge funds on the world in the world that also happen to have the two largest risk parity funds in the world. 
And mm-hmm. now we're buying corporates in violation of the – now, Stephen Meir, and I had him on. He's a PhD economist and worked at the uh, – he, he's, he's a rare character. Did you hear the interview that we did with Stephen Mirren? I, I don't think I did. Okay. No, he's, no. He's I'll have to look for it. Fascinating character because he's a PhD economist from Harvard that has worked in the Treasury Secretary, worked in the Treasury Department during 2020 with the PPP loans and all that kind of stuff. And yet yeah. he also recognizes the problem with modern economics. He makes a lot of the points you and I do. So talk about a rare bird, right? Um, yeah. And he said that that from his understanding that buying corporates – what was not illegal for the so that that the Fed could put money into a special purpose vehicle and hand it over to the Treasury and the Treasury could do anything they wanted with it, and if the but the Treasury had to okay the anyway. Point is, the first time they go in there and start pounding the corporate debt markets and buying everything up in sight, also happens to be the first time that, like you said, ex Fed members or ex Fed chairs are working at the funds that are the most impacted by that hmm. getting yep. paid millions. Of, and here's the other thing. And, and I, I really want people to, to understand this. You, you, it has to be something like that because when you're talking about hedge funds with the kind of track record that Citadel and, and um, uh, Bridgewater and all, we, they're not hiring these guys because of their acumen or their track record, right? Correct. Like, the, the, these guys have the worst forecasting record in in the world, right? I mean, you got home gamers sitting at home that they have got far better trading track records. So what are they paying them for, right? It's access, right? Influence, a hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, and 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 Congress, um, whether it's illegal or not, I mean that. that it doesn't mean anything anymore. They'll make, they'll they'll find a way to do it. The Fed just does whatever it wants because Congress is completely a wall, and. For all the years of ZERP and everything, Congress was um, Congress's profligacy was was enabled by the Federal Reserve money printing, and uh, maybe that maybe that's changing now because rates are up and they we're running into some fiscal. But you, you can't tell yet from any of the fiscal side. They're still print, They're still uh, spending money like there's no tomorrow. Um, and as uh, Gunlock pointed out, if they weren't, then the economy would be in you know very negative GDP. So. Um, I don't know. Congress loves the Fed. When the when when the Fed was actively coming out on TV, you know, all of them, all of them, it's all a propaganda campaign and saying, hey, we're going to try and raise inflation. We need to raise because they, they for some reason they think inflation equals real growth or something. Right. I don't know. I don't understand it. But they but they were saying this. We're going to. Ra- and basically, I'm screaming at the not screaming because I don't scream, but. I, I'm, I'm looking at the TV or the monitor going, all right, listen, guys, what you're telling everybody is you're going to raise everyone's cost of living and lower real incomes. And I posted that in 2020 when they were asking for this. And no one, I remember Nick uh, Hilaris, uh, not Nick Hilaris, uh, Nick uh, Timoros. Timoros. Yeah. Uh, Hilaris is a good guy. Uh, Timoros posted something like, uh, the Fed just did their first major uh, change in philosophy uh, where they're going to try and raise inflation. And no one in Congress spoke up. Okay, that was his tweet because he's just a Fed mouthpiece publicist. And then Neil Kashkari comes on. This is in 2020 and says, oh, this just proves that all you anonymous Twitter cranks don't know what you're talking about. And my and I replied to him as I'm not afraid to. I said, dude, if you're saying Congress is out of touch, they are. But, you, you, you know, Neil Kashkari doesn't have to worry about inflation. He got rewarded at PIMCO, you know, after coming from Goldman as and saving the bankers as Hank Paulson's boy. And then, you know, he ran for governor and he couldn't get governor. And then he became somehow Minnesota, 
you know, uh, president there, but he, these guys don't have to worry about it. There's a, there's a quote from Chesterton. This is like something aristocracy is the evil of aristocracy is that people um, can impose things that they never personally have to suffer. And that's exactly what we see. You know, yet you literally had, and, and nobody cared. I mean, very few people noticed this and I think I'm one of them and I, and I think I'm completely vindicated and I wish I, I wish I wasn't, but I wish they hadn't done it, but they were saying, we want to raise your cost of living. They didn't phrase it like that. We said, we want to raise inflation. We want a higher inflation target. And we have no problem letting inflation uh, run higher, hot, run hot. We're going to let it run hot for a while. You know, and I'm yelling, you are lowering. Do you know what inflation is in real world? They don't. They, they, they. They don't think like regular people. I see this all the time. And I do have some econ PhDs who follow me. There are some cool econ PhDs out there who are yeah. not Keynesian, you know, nutcases. But they're, uh, unfortunately, the colleges are spewing out the Janet Yellens and the Ben Bernankes. I mean, just look at who graduated from MIT, you know. Anyway, uh, so I, I just, it's, it's, they wanted more inflation and they got it and then they freaked out. And I think Powell, I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt that he, he, was I mean, he really was just as he might as well have been Janet Yellen up until 2022. Right. I mean, he was doing all he did. All the craziest stuff happened under his watch. I mean, Bernanke started this crap and uh, Yellen, her big thing I'd got on her years ago. She had she had years to tape to 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 lower that balance sheet down and to raise rates gradually when the economy was doing just fine. And she didn't. Because I think she was probably looking for where her next job was going to be or her speaking engagements, but that's just speculation. But then Powell went insane, and I think it was on the advice of his staff, and and they told him, "Oh no, don't worry, it's going to be inflation will be transitory." And he's a smart guy; he's not an econ guy; he's not one of these guys that you know spent forty years in college, and so he he I think now got mad at his staff. Di Martino Booth, Daniel Daniel is very good on all this. And I think he's kind of like, no, we're going to stick it out. We're going to go higher. I'm going to get back to normal. We're normalizing right now. People are freaking out about race, but we are actually, what we're doing is normalizing, which we should have done, you know, 14 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and here's the absurdity of it. And I want people that are listening to this, that maybe are learning about the fed for the first time or how this stuff works for the first time. This isn't guys like Rudy and I coming after the fact and scoring the game after it's over, right? We, you and I have both said, and and just tons of other people have said it, but inflation is like the the whole run up to twenty twenty twenty, or excuse me, to twenty twenty, was um maybe you heard it over and over and over. We want to generate inflation, and guys like you and I were saying the whole time, inflation is sort of like the car that the dog is chasing, right? That the real drama starts when he catches it, right? Like where, yeah. what, what is that going to look like? And, you know, so, so I just want to point that out that we're not sitting there saying this after the fact, we were saying this all the time. We were sitting there saying, when you actually need to be able to lower rates or do things, you're not going to be able to, cause it's going to stimulate inflation. And then we talked about the fed being caught with two a gun to each side of their head, right? We either don't keep the finger on the printing press or, uh, or we do, and there's inflation and that, and, and, and here we are. Right. And then the other one that you said earlier, and, and I know, you know this, but I just want to make a point for the listeners. You know, I were guys like you and I will sit there also and say, we didn't think they could get rates to this point without something breaking. Well, look at the banks earlier this year, right? Yeah. 350 billion. That's one third of TARP. And we occupied Wall Street over TARP 
that $350 billion didn't even make the evening news. Right. It, it's right. We had pitchforks out for for just, you know, an amount of money that was not just two and a half times that amount, you know, yeah. 15 years earlier. We don't even we don't even mention 350 billion. What What's 350 bill between a couple of buddies? That's right. The numbers now are just beyond human comprehension and we throw them around all the time like it's no big deal. But it is a big deal. Um, you know, I, I forget if it's Drucka Miller or Gunluck. Uh, had a great quote like we've never had a deflationary depre- or crash or depression because uh, inflation was one and a half percent or one percent instead of two. You know, he said we've had we have deflationary busts because of massive asset bubbles, and they have spent fifteen years after the last one blowing up an even bigger uh, asset bubble, and we were still in the thick of it. I mean, we're at, you know, what's the, uh, we're at 4,300 on the S&P. House prices are at all-time highs. Um, I, we're in a massive asset bubble. Valuations are ridiculous. And uh, so that's going to have to uh, correct at some point. I think, I mean, unless we go full Argentina, whose stock market does really good, you know, nominally. Um, you know, it's, hey, uh, I, I, I was, in uh, 2020, I was putting out posts saying, why do you want to lower real incomes? Right. And and people like Kashkari would mock, you know, that. And and today Wolfers and Krugman mock people who worry about inflation, but inflation hurts everybody. Now to Bernanke or Yellen, it's a it's they don't even notice it. And then to the people in the top 10% that are doing really good pretty much, it's an it might be a minor annoyance. But to at least 50% or more, 50% of people or more, it is a existential problem. Do I, do I pay my rent or do I feed my kids? And to see, you know, lately it's, you know, someone like a Krugman just mocking anyone who thinks there's inflation. The other thing, I, I have a chart that like where line goes, you know, straight up to the right and then has a little tiny little dip down. And I said, you know, that's the deflation. You know, I have been hearing deflation, deflation, deflation in terms of cost of living going down over a period, over a long period of time or any or medium, any period of time is a myth like the Loch Ness Monster or, you know, North Dakota, as I like to say. It's it's a myth. Um, it doesn't happen. Now, I understand what deflation is, and I understand there's a lot of deflationary forces in the world. And my favorite deflationist is Lacey Hunt. And I was just listening to him with the, I haven't heard the whole thing yet. I think Julia uh, LaRoche. And he says, he said, well, he's the one that pointed me, again, reminded me of the Michigan sentiment index. And he's like, this is, this is insane. And then he says, for the last three years, I think it is, ever since they started their new policy at the Fed, uh, median uh, real, real median household incomes are down for three years in a row. Yep. And so literally what I said, why do you want to lower real incomes? It came to pass and there's no accountability for anybody at the Fed. As Joseph Wang is another good guy said, all those people who said inflation was transitory, they're still at the Fed. There's no, they're, they're still getting their bonuses and their pensions and all that. There's, there's no accountability. And it's, and it's the same in our military or in our politics. I mean, you know, like, uh, Afghanistan, who who took the fall for that? Nobody. And, uh, you know, that was it was a historic, you know, debacle. I mean, the whole period. I mean, and, other than the taxpayer, so the thing. other than the taxpayer and the guys right. that died over there. Well, and the guys that died, too. You yeah, know, for, right. For to keep apparently to give the country back to the Taliban. So but I mean, I don't want to get into that. I You know, we we should have we had been Laden in in 2001 and we let him get away. But uh, 
uh, anyway, it's it's the account. I keep harping on accountability because there is none. Why is Larry Summers still on Bloomberg every every day? I mean, he's a he's a policy disaster. Uh, uh, you know, watch the movie Inside Job from the la- the bubble before this bubble. Um, why is Janet? Yellen, like I said, Treasury Secretary. That's a cosmic joke. You know, Bernanke's got a Nobel Prize. Uh, for some reason, Krugman is still a thing. I, I don't I don't understand. I don't understand why. Well, I do understand because as Summers told Elizabeth Warren and uh, Giannis Varoufakis and uh, Fakas and a couple other people, you know, there's two types of people. He has a spiel he gives people. Apparently, maybe he gave it. To, maybe Jeff Epstein taught him this. But <laughs> where he says there's two types of people: there's insiders and there's outsiders. And if you're an outsider, you know, you can be in power and stuff, but no one's going to listen to you. But if you're an insider, that's how you you, you still no one's going to listen to you. But you might have a little bit of access to the real power in the world, and. Uh, and the one rule of the insiders, Larry Summers says, is you never, ever criticize other insiders. That's so right. I've, 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 I've tweeted to this guy, David Weston. David Weston has Larry Summers on like every day. And, and, and of course, he never has never responded to me. I'm like, do you know about this guy's history with policy errors? Do you know about Larry Summers' history with, you know, hanging with a notorious you know pedophile for many years, you know? And uh and nobody cares. I did that CNBC too. Every time they'd have a friend of Harvey Weinstein or Epstein on, I'd say, "Hey, do you ask him about Epstein?" Jay, uh, uh, they used to have uh, Staley, Jeff Staley, come on in recent mm-hmm. years, and I'd say, "Hey, hey, guys, you know Morgan Brennan or you know Wilford uh, Frost or whoever. Uh, this guy is up to his eyeballs with Jeff Epstein, and nobody they don't care. And uh, no one ever responded. Although I know they read him. I think Guy Adami responded one time, and then. And uh, Ron and Sana responded one time, and then both of them I never heard from again. So nobody cares. And, and that's why the Epstein thing bugs me, because it's just an example of, I mean, literally, it's like, this, I think it's a scandal of the century, and it's in plain sight. And it's obvious, I think, what was going on there, a blackmail intelligence operation. And then, of course, Whitney Webb says it was actually more of, that was a minor part of it. It was actually financial crimes, like money laundering, which is probably the biggest industry in the world. But there's no accountability at any level above a certain point. And that, that's Americans see that and they say, well, in my life, there's accountability. You know, in my life, there is. What, but with these billionaires or these politicians, there's no accountability or these academics. And there should be accountability. I don't know how we get it because Congress is completely AWOL. Congress could rein in the Fed if they wanted to. I joke, end the Fed. Well, I'm not delusional. I don't expect we're going to end the Fed, but put it on a leash because they are unelected, unaccountable power. They're like the fourth branch of government now. And not that Congress is any, Congress is so corrupt that it's like, you know, do you want to die of this or that? You know, I mean, but something has to change that because that's what's ticking people off if they see there's no accountability. I lost my house in 2008, someone will say, but Lloyd Blankfein, was bailed out and was a billionaire now. And then the nerve is these people never go away with their money. You know, Lloyd Blankfein, every now and then I see he'll tweet something stupid. And like, like these people have all, another thing is they have no uh, self-awareness at all. And no shame. You know, no shame. Yeah. None. Because I guess the people they hang out with, they're all doing super and they, they love the policies, you know, and that's the thing. Who's, who got bailed out? Not, you know, a, a very few. Uh, the top, I mean, the top 1% are, it's really the top 0.001%. I mean, and I have nothing against people that do very well and are successful. What I'm against is these government-created kleptocrats, and there's well, way too many of those. Yeah, I mean, and and I, I just I, – I don't think – and it really disheartens me too sometimes when I hear, you know, the average Joe citizen seeing some of these actions that the government takes and goes – or that the Fed takes and they go, 
okay, yeah, well, you know, we had to do it. We had to save the system. And to get to the point where that we were talking about earlier, I, just not enough people are asking the question, what are we trying to save, right? Because exactly. th- 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 this mechanism, this this beautiful engine that we called the U.S. economy, it is not doing what it's supposed to do. It is not doing what it used to do, right? It is right. lining the pockets of the few at the cost of the many. And it people are like, that's what the problem with capitalism. And you look at them and go, this isn't capitalism, right? right? This is this unholy right. union between big government, big business. And it's a, it's a, it's a Ponzi scheme effectively, right? Like this, we're going to juice up these yeah. things. We're all going to get rich off it at the cost of the many. And then the other, the other thing with the fed that's always cracked me up is deflation, deflation, deflation. How many, <laughs> how many empires crumbled because their currency went up too much relative <laughs> to goods that their citizens were trying to buy? Like right. it, yeah, there's no not idea. a single example, right? There's a great, yeah, there's a great quote I was just thinking of by this guy named Stephen uh, Waldman, and it's uh, billionaires uh, make human shields of the merely affluent. <laughs> and 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 I, I think if you think about that, it's, it's it's very appropriate to what we what we do a lot as well. We have to save the you know the system. You know, I think ten percent of the uh, of the population owns like ninety percent of stocks. I haven't looked at the exact numbers lately. And that's been going up. I mean, the bottom 50% of Americans own like 0.6%, 0.6% of stocks. And I think the uh, the next 40% own like 10.6%. So you have, you have the bottom 90% own like 11% of stocks. And this is using Fed numbers. So maybe it's, maybe it's really 9%, maybe it's really 15%. But the point is that the top 10% and particularly the top 0.1% own 90% of the stocks. And it, and, and and it seems as if until very recently, every action that the Fed has taken has been designed to pump up stocks. And uh, the fact is that just is the Cantillon effect on steroids and really helps people that own a lot of stocks. People like, you know, or benefit from owning a lot of stocks like Larry Frank or, you know, Schwartzman or all these other jokers. Um, so that's what we've been doing. We've been, we've been uh, uh, you know, uh, there's a great... Uh, review of um, Chan- Edward Chancellor's book, The Price of Time, where the, and this is Chancellor's point, but the reviewer, Tom Owens, was was making a good point that, you know, when you have 0% rates or 1% rates or whatever, uh, who who benefit, who can, who has the collateral to borrow at, at those rates? And, the, and it's rich people, people with assets. So it just feeds on itself. And you have this massive Cantillon effect where uh, I, the real estate market, as I, I posted years ago, uh, look, uh, when rates were zero for years, for 10 years, they've been zero. And I said, and I have this long post on uh, on all the ways that uh, the investors and black, uh, you know, uh, Barry Stern, like all these other guys got into housing, single family housing. And that's all new since the last, uh, since 2008. And that started with Geithner, but um, it's, it, it, they bought up everything. And, and, and they did that because they had zero, they had cheap financing and you now your kids can't compete because they're up against Blackstone. The, the guy I mentioned earlier, Nick Hilaris, not, not this Wall Street Journal guy, Hilaris made the point that, you know, he was trying to buy um, things back during 08, 09 or, or in the early 2010s. And he said, black, these firms would come in Blackstone and others and just buy every foreclosure. They'd buy hundreds of them at a time. Or they buy entire portfolios. So these houses, a lot of these houses, and then you've got the Airbnb thing. So you have millions of houses in this country that are owned by uh, either Blackstone uh, or by you know Airbnb or, uh, as I said, everybody 
who had the money to do it in the top 10% got into real estate in the last 10 years because they were reaching for yield. Yeah. And it's, and, and, and then there's, there, there's another city it's at, and I know you know this because you and I have discussed this before. You've actually quoted something that I've said in the show before, which is anybody that lived through 0809 knows exactly what we're talking about, right? They cut yeah. rates to zero. They start doing QE. Do you know anybody who was able to go out and get a loan in that environment? No, yeah. no, nobody could access it, but the banks could. The same guys that set the fire that that blew up all of those assets that the average people owned, right? They were the only ones that could take advantage of it. So by the time you know the the average guy's balance sheet or or credit score healed to the point where he could qualify for credit, the same house that he foreclosed on five years earlier was up forty percent, right? Right, and it yeah. Yeah. And I was going to say, if uh, I, I, you know, I posted about the, remember like the TALF program and all that, all the guys that got money in, in like 09 or 2010. And one of them being, you know, John Mack's wife, who got a couple hundred million dollars, you know, 0% loan. Uh, In March, 2020, I was posting, I was going to these Fed programs that they introduced where like people could go and get like, it was TALF, but there was other programs too. And I was posting, I'm like, who are these? You got LLCs that were set up in April 2020, and they're getting like a, you know, here's $500 million loan to them at, you know, rates you and I could never get in a million years. Who are these people? And I was posting and no one answered. There was nobody cared. No, there was no investigation of it. Our financial journalism, as I point out, often is abysmal with, with some exceptions. And, uh, you know, look, uh, you know, look at, look at, uh, Tim Arosa's latest book, you know, it's all about how the heroes of the fed and, uh, uh, even worse, John Hilsenrath, who I used to call uh, Yellen's grandson years ago, he just came out with a book called Yellen and he describes it as a love, a, a love story. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, they're publicists. We don't have any, you know, as I always say, why isn't Jim Grant at the fed press conference. Why isn't Ed Chancellor? Why isn't Jeremy Grantham? Why isn't, you know, Jeff Snyder? All these guys. I want to hear some. Instead, it's like, you know, you won't be invited back. You know, Michelle Smith, look her up. She's the, she's the aide. She's been the aide at the Fed, the top to the Fed chair since, I don't know, how many decades. She runs the whole show. She picks who gets picked. No one knows about her. And she says she was described as the most powerful bureaucrat in Washington that no one's ever heard about. So, and I, you know, I post on all this and run on all this. And no one, yeah. no one cares. It's like, well, I mean, I know people like you care and there's a lot of people out there. And that's one encouraging thing is I think way more than 10 years ago, people are, uh, your average Joe, meaning the 0.1% that are on Fintwit, uh, understands more now about the danger of the Fed and what they've been doing. And I think that's encouraging to me. Um, the other thing I'll throw in as encouraging is that the young people I see um, are worlds above the knuckleheads that you see on social media or that you see on the news. And so I, I, I think uh, I don't want to be a downer. There is hope. There are people smarter and better than us and younger coming up. But you can't just say throw out Mitch McConnell and just bring in someone new, although you should throw out with Mitch McConnell. But because then you get AOC or you get Kamala Harris, you know what I right. mean? So it's it's like, you know, you you have to have somebody who is younger than 80 with good ideas. And I wish I got a lot of problems with Robert F. Kennedy, but we need someone to come out like him who looks like Gavin Newsom, but without Gavin Newsom's Justin Trudeau <laughs> ideas. And 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 say, hey, we're going to, you know, America first has become like a bad word because Trump, right. Trump used it. Great. <laughs> but you know what? There are people saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. My neighborhood, I can't go to the, the my, their crime is through the roof. You can't go in a supermarket. I get running over by shoplifters. But 
we're going to send, we have infinite money to send to all these other countries around the world. I mean, people, that ticks people off right now. And then they wonder, oh, gee, why is Senate, why, you know, this is the greatest economy in the world. Why is everybody so bummed out? Well, take a, you know, have Joe Biden, <laughs> Joe Biden is, used, I mean, he's, I think Obama's running the show now, but politicians need to like go into the area they supposedly govern and walk the streets and talk to people. And they know they don't do that anymore because all they do is talk to their lobbyists. And, and I, maybe it's always been like that, but I mean, you know, Abe Lincoln used to go shake hands with people. And I mean, it's, it's come so far now. The leaders are so detached from the people they govern. Um, Purposely. It's, and it's, yeah, I think so. And it's, it's, it's beginning to look more and more like it's all, all planned and they want to isolate. They want to destroy the middle class because that's where, you know, and the upper middle class too, I think for, because there's, there, well, the upper middle class is probably the, the useful servants, but um, they they want to get rid of the opposition and they'll just have a bunch of angry, ticked off um, poor people that can be controlled by the our very you know effective <laughs> police and military, I suppose. But it's it's not good. It's 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 not good. And we well, need to here, 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 neighborhoods. Here's the other part of it, that narrative that just chaps me. That whole yeah. they're heroes, right? You you want me to consider you a hero? <laughs> Fix the problem without just printing money, right? And then and then the act of printing money also lands you five to twenty one twenty million dollars a year working for a hedge fund, right? Like that that's like giving a parent to the right. year award to the guy that just papers over every one of his kids' mistakes, right? Ah, oh, parent right. of the year. What are you What are you talking? You 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 want me to call you a hero? You literally your solution to quote unquote saving the world. Right was put printing a bunch of money out of thin air that wasn't yours to begin with, and just giving it away to people's back. They, I, I use this term, and I don't know if you've heard me use it before. It's like third grade diplomacy, right? We, meaning it, the solutions that these guys throw up are situations or are similar to if you walked into a third grade classroom and you laid out the problems, they'd be like, "Well, you don't have enough money, huh? We'll print some more." What do you mean you're out of money? Look at the checkbook. Look at the checks. You still have checks in your checkbook, right? It's so infantile. And there, well, he's a hero. He printed trillions of dollars and just stuffed it into insolvent companies' balance sheets. Now, he, had he, had they been able to fix that crisis without doing that, then I'd say, okay, may, maybe we can talk about hero or or Nobel economic prize. But how is it, <laughs> right? They print a bunch of money that ends up benefiting them financially, the money comes at no cost to them, and then they're winning Nobel Prize and getting paid tens of millions of dollars. Where, where is the act of heroism or selflessness in that? None. And and again, accountability, which is my latest, biggest word lately. When that uh, magazine cover of The Atlantic came out with, with Bernanke's you know, smug mug and uh, the, the giant letters, the hero underneath it, I mean, that just, that just says it all how... <laughs> perverted the the meaning of the word hero has become Bernanke's not a hero he's a villain and he should be treated as a villain and considered a villain and the fact that he's not means we haven't learned a damn thing and no and that's sad where where do we where, where do we go from here because I do think that um I I do think that we have and I could end up being wrong but it does very much feel to me like we've we've turned the corner here into a paradigm shift where I I, I really think that as low growth, quote unquote, low inflation, and you and I could have a ball with that term low inflation over the last 15 years. I mean, go look mm. at prices of cars, prices of phones, prices of homes, um, 
<laughs> so it's, I think it's a ridiculous argument to make, but, but, but I do think that we have turned that corner in the sense, you know, look at the balance sheet, look at the deficits. I, I very much think that inflation is going to be a specter that is hanging over us for quite some time. And, and, and perhaps from here on out, right. I mean, again, when you look at the, when you look at the balance sheet, when you look at the fiscal, you know, you look at the monetary situation, you look at the debt, you look at the treasury, you look at the deficits. Um, I, I don't think this inflation is going anywhere. You know, you, you, you I, my firm belief is that you're going to see it pull back quite a bit next year and everybody's going to think that it's over and, and everything's yeah. fine. Um, but you and I both know I'm looking at an economy, Rudy, that I, I don't think uh, can function with higher rates. And and I will also go out there and say, go out on a limb and just say, if this does not cause a massive reversal of, of policy at the Fed, and if this does not cause massive problems in the financial markets over the next 12 to 24 months, it will be a Paul on the road to Damascus moment for me, meaning you know, it's not just that I'll change course, I'll need to change religions just because I I think it, it feels silly that we're talking about things like soft landing. It feels silly to me that there's talk that we might avoid a recession. Um, I, I just find it completely illogical to think that you can play that game and then ratchet rates the way you have in such a debt reliant economy and that there will not be a price to pay. Um, do, right. wh- where are you at on that? Do you think? Well, well, here's a question. I mean, look at look at the Michigan sentiment index. Are we in a, are we in a recession? I mean, you know, that's the thing. I you got to wonder about the data. Uh, I don't delve into the jobs data like a lot of people do, but I don't know. I don't. Again, you got you know who are you going to believe the BLS or your lion eyes? You know, and um, the, if you remember, you know, you mentioned. Uh, car prices, you know, for, for the BLS uh, that goes into their official inflation, their CPI calculation, for 25 years, um, car prices didn't go up, according to them. Uh, they were flat. <laughs> they, they even went down and up a little down for 25 years, like from 95 until recently. And that was because they used the hedonic quality adjustments, which I've talked about before, which, you know, uh, your income doesn't get hedonically adjusted higher. But what they do is they'll say, well, you know, yeah, the car's up 10 grand, but it's got the airbags and the fancy stereo and the tires are better. So it really went down a thousand dollars, you know, and, and that's the logic that these people, these, you know, these math PhDs that uh, sitting in a basement somewhere come up with. So uh, again, it's people's reality, you know, in 2016, early in the year, or, you know, well before the, we knew the, you know, when there were still 10 GOP candidates or something, I said, you know, I think the reason Trump and, and Sanders were popular is because they describe a, a, uh, an economic narrative that people recognize, unlike the mainstream media. And I think that's 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 true then and it's true now. The other thing I said is, hey, you know, any reco- an, an economy, and this is in 2016, remember, I said an economy that's been recovering for seven years with, uh, you know, 4% unemployment doesn't have Trump and Sanders winning states. No. So why, why were those guys so popular? And I think, I think if the DNC had been hands off and if it was an actual fair election or a primary process, um, Sanders might've been the nominee and that would have been a really interesting choice between Trump and Sanders. But, um, but the point is, is that the reality that people live, I think is for most people live is very different than the reality you see on CNBC. And I, and I, 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 I noticed that a lot, you know, cause everyone on CNBC is like, everything's great. 
you know, I, the market did, you know, 4297 on the SPX, you know, uh, all my friends in the Hamptons, you know, we're all, we're all, <laughs> we're all vacationing together again this year. Everything's going super. So to them, everything is great. You know, you know, uh, the, the circles they hang out in and they're, the, their clients and uh, the hedge funds they advise or whatever. And so, you know, uh, but they're not the real world. Well, no, and you get into that philosophical, but right. <laughs> Any man that is at the top of any system is going to believe that that system is just and fair. Of course. Right? Because, yeah. because, well, of course the system is just and fair. It has correctly picked me to be a top, right? Which is, right. which it must be functioning properly because assuredly I deserve to be a top, right? Um, yeah. And so you've just got, it's this self, like you said, it's this self-reinforcing wheel. And now you look where you're at. You know, go I, just go run the numbers. You've you've now pushed it to a point where the average family can't even buy a home. I mean, mm-hmm. if if they went out to get finance for a home, it would be you know if they could even get the financing, which most of them can't because the mortgage payment is going to be sixty five percent of their take home pay, right? And who's going to mm-hmm. underwrite that? I, it's just it's just absolutely ridiculous, and it never it it and the answers are always the same. Right. Like, let's just keep treating it. Let's just keep let's just keep printing the money. Let's just keep it rolling. And um, it seems to me, though, that that we are coming to a point of some recognition of that pain. And I and I think it's coming this year. What are your thoughts on that? Where do you think we're headed um, on a trajectory as a as an economy? Because it does very much feel to me like the the. I don't think I don't think that there's any easy way out of this. I think that we're going to see some bad results, especially in the next year to year and a half. But a lot of the listeners know my thoughts. What, where are you at on that? Well, I think we're. I mean, I I said ten posted ten years ago that I don't know where the Dow's going or the gold's going, but I can one thing I know for certainty, and that remains true now: a dollar will buy less overall. In the in in the future than it does now, I am I, I have no doubt about that. Now maybe it maybe it buys a little bit less, maybe it buys a lot less, but that's that's the one guarantee in fiat world. The cost of living is going to go down. Yes, pocket calculators are cheap, wonderful. I buy twenty a day, but uh, so I would expect a higher inflation regime. All the smart people that I follow think we we like you said paradigm type shift. Um, and, you know, frankly, they want inflation. They really do. They won't come out and say it because they don't want to blow up the bond market, but they want inflation. That's how that's their way of dealing with unsustainable debt, although it's just another type of default. I mean, uh, Ray Dahlia, who I normally make fun of, but he had a great point. He says, you know, you you own a bond. There's there's too many bonds. They, they, there's too many bonds. There's not enough. There's not enough assets. There's not enough value to pay your bond off. So he goes, so they're either going to like pay you less, you know, you're, they're going to do a, a, an overt default and say, you know, we owe you a million dollars. Here's 500,000, or they're going to use inflation and you'll, you'll get your full, you know, nominal value back of bonds, but they won't buy anything. It'll buy much, you know, 50% less. And they're both defaults, but inflation is a hidden default. Uh, and or a, or a more disguised default because it's over time. It's like the, the frog boiling in a pot. So I expect that. That's what they want. They really want inflation. They they won't say it, but they do. Well, they did say it in 2020 and 2021. They said, yeah. we want higher inflation. They won't say why. They won't say we want higher inflation to, to uh, uh, default on the debt. But even in 2020, it was like, 
they said, we want higher inflation. And I was like, and no one could explain why, why, you know, and I saw uh, even Powell being asked uh, recently uh, why the 2% uh, target, because that they made up, that made, was made up by some economist in, in New Zealand or something years ago. There's absolutely no basis for that in anything. And uh, their, their mandate is stable prices, but Powell just kind of stumbles through his answer. He goes, well, you know, everybody, everybody's doing it. That seems to be the the thing. And, and, and I guess to the Fed reporters that that's an acceptable answer, but it's not to me because their policies have, have, have really hurt most Americans. Anyway, in the future, I don't know. I mean, uh, I'm not, I, uh, people think I'm bearish sometimes cause I, you know, but I, I, I've always been long stocks. I haven't shorted stocks since 2009. If I'm bearish on stocks, I'll just sell them and have cash. You know, that's my short. Mm-hmm. And um, so the stock market could go, like I said, Argentina stock market or Venezuela is, is you know, goes to the moon. Uh, I hope we don't get to that point. I don't think we have to make some tough choices. I mean, because you can't you can't keep spending without limit. And, you know, even if they taxed everybody 100 percent, it wouldn't be enough. And so I don't know. I, I would expect that. I mean, is there any change? In, I mean, are we going to get a new crop of Congress people that are better? I mean, look at the people that just got to put on the FOMC. These guys are, uh, you know, as, as as dumb as some of these FOMC members were. I, I don't know. We've got a whole new crop of, um, you know, social justice warriors, I think, uh, coming on uh, in the name of diversity. The problem is there's absolutely no ideological diversity at the Fed. That's the problem. But they're there for 15 year terms, which I just realized the other day. I never knew it was 15 years. I'm, so we're going to be dealing with these people forever. And when Powell... Powell, I think, with all his faults, and I criticized him quite a bit when he was going insane up until 2022, it, he, he is tr- I think he's trying maybe to right the ship now. Maybe too late. I don't know. But the people that follow Powell, especially if you've got – and you know what? It doesn't matter if it's Trump or Biden or whoever because it's bipartisan. They all want – I mean, Trump was – Trump was calling for zero rates, uh, negative rates, and Trump yeah. was calling for more, more QE. So the idea that, you know, it may be worse under under Trump. I don't know. I'm just saying that it doesn't matter who the president is in the future based on this, the people we have now. Uh, it's going to get the – I think Powell's about as hawkish as you're ever going to see in our lifetime maybe, unless we get like Venezuela-type inflation and they really try and n- nail it down, but uh, which I don't expect. But I expect higher inflation. I mean, that's my thing. So buy things that, you know, benefit from inflation. And if you can't, for example, <laughs> this is, and I talk against my book every day, but I mean, it's like the other day they had a uh, U-Band coffee, you know, the big can, yep. the big cans, yep. and it was on sale for $2, $2. It's normally like $10. So we bought a bunch of it. <laughs> it's now sitting in the pantry because we know we're going to use it. Yeah. It shouldn't go bad. It's not going to go bad. So that's the kind of thing I think your average Joe could do. If you if you buy Campbell's soup cans for a dollar and you see them on sale for 50 cents and you know it's not going to spoil and you're going to you know buy, buy a bunch, buy as much as you can because that price is not going to go down in the future. And people should look at life that way. Things are going to get more expensive. And it's, and it's terrible for most people. And I hate that. And it's the reason I came on 10 years ago is to try and warn people about this. And people like Neil Kashkari laughed at me and Joe Wiesenthal and Mark Dow and, and Barry Ritholtz and everybody else. They all made fun of me because I was saying, hey, inflation's a problem. Well, yeah, go talk to regular people in a supermarket. It's a problem. <laughs> yeah, and no, it, and it's and it's everybody's everybody's asleep at the wheel. And the, and the other part too that is unfortunate is the financialization of the economy because um, I think that there are too many oh, yeah. out there that don't understand economics. And even though they see their four hundred one k going up, they don't 
For instance, I mean, look at the narrative that goes around right now. And I hear it all the time. Well, yeah, but you're forgetting about the massive wage growth. Well, the, no. this is the worst wage growth on the last 40 years when, when you, when you, when you, when you net it out for inflation. And yep. it, it's, it's, it's just, yeah. it's just stunning to me how, you know, the power of the narrative, right? And it, you look at, you look at the world today and you see it applied to so many different things. And I, I just, I don't know, I don't know where we go from here and, and we're already approached, we've already over the hour, but, but just to tie this up, um, where, where do we, what is the path back to normal? Or one of the things I fear, Rudy, is that when you look at the imbalances and you look at the numbers, I fear, and I, and I, if you were to ask me right now, I, 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 I don't just fear, but I also think. I think we're past that, that I think we're past the point of no return. I hope I'm wrong. Um, but I do think we're past the point of no return. You start looking at these numbers. I think inflation probably is the only way out. What are your thoughts on that? Where do we go from here? Well, unfortunately that's probably the route they'll pick because that's the route they always pick. Um, Felix Somery is a guy, uh, posted on, he was a banker back in the in the uh, Weimar period and World War II period. And he says, you know, um, bankruptcy is, is, you know, an option, but it's a quick, you, you clarify things. You, you say, okay, we owe you a million. You're only going to get, or we owe you a dollar. You're only going to get 75 cents, but then it allows you, you wipe out the bad debts and you're able to rebuild. He said, but inflation is a permanent poisoning of, of the, of the system. And I think, I have many historical examples. Uh, all the contemporary accounts of inflation say that it is extremely bad for most of the population. Uh, as Thomas Mann said, it's the it's the hyenas of finance who benefit. Um, there are some people that benefit, mostly the big capitalists. You know, the people like Bill Ackman. And uh, if if inflation gets really high, and by the way, if twenty percent inflation is not hyperinflation. Hyperinflation is a currency collapse, right? Where people are rushing to get out of dollars, and I don't I don't foresee that. I still accept dollars. Uh, I think it would happen in other countries certainly first, but it's not inconceivable. It's on the table now, and it is the worst possible outcome for the majority of people. And uh, but people like Barry Sternlicht would probably do fine. A leveraged uh, guys leverage to their gills, so. Um, I hope it doesn't go that way. I think unless we, you know, what we need is a leader who's going to, you know, sit, go on TV and say, look, this is our situation we've gotten into here. Um, you know, everybody's going to have to take a cut. And by the way, we're, 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 we're banning lobbyists in Washington, D.C. Or so. I mean, you, it would have to be, if he's going to ask people for, for some austerity, he, there better be a lot of austerity at the top. And there, and that's why I don't think it'll happen because, you know, the insiders are going to, protect their status. There's no, I, I don't know. I hate to think the end game uh, is what it probably will end up being, but um, I don't know. Just try and prepare in your own way um, and hope that we get better leaders. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, guy, you know, and I don't know, grow, learn how to, you know, grow your own food or something. <laughs> it's, I'm, I don't want to be a bummer. Cause I'm not a, I'm not a down person. I'm always, I'm really cheerful. I say, you know, people, Oh, will you post this? Well, I just try and wake people up. But, uh, yeah, you know, none of this really depresses me or anything because I've, it's it's all kind of trivial in the scheme of things. I mean, the things that matter are your are your family and your community and friends. So cultivate those and um, 
elect better people. Yeah. Uh, I know we don't have many options. I don't know what to say a lot. And then I get people will tell me, Oh, you're, you're an idiot. They're voting. Doesn't do anything. And like, well, I'm not, I'm not the, I'm not a revolutionary. I'm just kind of out there with a, with a, a megaphone trying to tell people, Hey, we need to change our leaders and we need to have accountability. I mean, people, you know, the only ones that can hold the fed accountable is Congress and, and then they're not, and it's sad. And, um, we just need better Congress. Yeah. Well, you and know? it's, yeah. And like we've pointed out, it's just, it's virtually impossible to get those who are benefiting from the largesse to, to, right. vote, to vote, to shut it off. Right. It's just, it's, yeah, that's where we're at. Well, Hey, it's been so fun to have you on, man. Um, there's a lot of things <laughs> sure. we did. we're, we, we're going to have to do this again. Cause there's a lot of things that, that we didn't get to that I wanted to discuss with you, but I, I appreciate it so much. Um, what I, 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 and I've, I, Shoot, I follow. I've been following your site religiously. Um, for those of you that want to follow follow you on Twitter, what's your handle again? It's it's at um... Rudy R U D Y Havenstein H A V E N S T I N. So that's on Twitter, and then I have a Substack Rudy dot com. And um, I love talk. You know, again, just to let you know, and anybody else, I love talk. I don't need to talk all about Fed inflation and 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 the, and the end game. We we could talk about uh, you know poker or talk about uh, UFOs or you know I, I, <laughs> I read up on a lot of things. So anyway, I enjoyed enjoyed talking with you. I always liked your uh, show and uh, appreciate the opportunity. Oh, you bet, Rudy. Well, it's been a pleasure having you, and I hope you guys have enjoyed talk uh, enjoyed listening to the discussion as much as I did hosting it. And uh, as always, join us again next week. We got another another great interview lined up you're not going to want to miss but uh until then have a great weekend and uh thank you for listening you're listening to the know your risk radio podcast download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com the opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Man- Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. If you're retired ahead of theirs, your portfolio position for a successful retirement? With the state of the economy, risk management has never been more important. Join Bulwark Capital Zach Abraham for his final live webinar of the year, Thursday, November 16th, to learn how their risk management strategy and active management could potentially lower portfolio volatility for you. Todd, protecting retirement portfolios against loss is our number one focus. Our live webinar breaks down the retirement planning process, which is especially important during the threat of a recession, uncertain interest rates, and increasing market volatility. Don't just ride it out. We actively manage every portfolio looking for opportunities to lower risk, lower cost, and give you as much upside as possible. Learn about Bulwark's risk management strategy and performance Thursday, November 16th at 3 p.m. Pacific. It's free, but space is limited. Register now at knowyourriskradio.com. That's knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advisory services offered through Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor.